Let's all turn in our Bibles this morning to 2 Peter. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 1 this morning looking at verses 1 to 4. I titled this morning's message, Partakers of His Divine Nature. I, uh, I love starting a book. I love ending a book. But we're starting 2 Peter now. And it's a continuation of Peter's letter that he wrote in 1 Peter. These are thoughts. These are convictions. These are things on Peter's heart and mind that he wants to share with all believers, including us, 2,000 years later. This letter is just as relevant for us today as it was when Peter wrote it 2,000 years ago. This start of this letter, uh, quite often I might do a, an intro, but I'm going to ask that if you really want to hear the intro to Peter's letters, go back and listen to the recording of the intro on 1 Peter, and it'll give you a lot of the background to Peter, to his life, and the start of his, uh, his ministry. So today I just want to spend some time uh, really looking at the first four verses of this second letter of Peter. We know as we look into this second letter that it's a, really a, a letter that Peter is writing. We might call it his last words in written form because Peter, we're told in verses 14 of chapter, verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. In other words, Peter was preparing to leave this life and to go home to be with the Lord. We could look at the way Peter puts this, and I love it. How many of you like to camp? I do. But... Peter, in, a, in essence, is saying here, it's like he's rolling up. It's like he's packing up his tent and he's ready to go home and he's saying goodbye. That's really what Peter is doing here. It's kind of like Paul and how Paul really gave that testimony in 2 Timothy. He gave his farewell words. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, Paul says. And the time of my departure is at hand. And really that word departure here, if you were to look it up into the, in the Greek, it's like a ship leaving a harbor. And Paul is saying, I'm loading up in this ship, I'm getting on board, and I'm ready to leave this harbor, and it's time for me to go home. I'm ready to go. Peter, he had that opportunity with the Lord. Remember I shared uh, last week where Jesus approached Peter and asked Peter, do you love me, Peter? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus went on in that same dialogue with Peter, and he prophesied about Peter's death. Jesus said to Peter, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Then Jesus spoke, this Jesus spoke, signifying what death Peter would glorify God. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he chose not to be crucified upright like his Lord. Here's Jesus telling Peter that he was going to be stretched out upon a cross. That he was going to be glorified in the death of Peter. That was something yet future. How would you like to hear those words about your coming death? And then Peter, uh, Jesus says to Peter right after that, He says, follow me, Peter. 
I mean, what a, what, a, what a walk of a believer to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, to have your death even prophesied, knowing that it was going to bring glory to God. In this letter that we're starting today, it would, I start thinking these crazy thoughts. I start thinking about how these letters came about, how they were delivered to the churches, how pastors would, elders would open up these letters that were written, and how they would read them to their church body. And it'd be like, you know, Peter, uh, or the pastor, excuse me, going out to his mailbox, opening up the mailbox and pulling out a letter and and realizing this is a, a letter from the Apostle Peter. And he would have waited until his church gathered. He would have come in on that gathering day and he would have opened up this scroll, he would have opened up this letter, and he would have began to read this letter to his people. They didn't have the screens with all the they didn't have their Bibles sitting out on their laps. It would have been that, that pastor just standing in front of the people and beginning to read a, a, a letter from one of the apostles, Peter. And I'm sure that it would have got the attention of all those that were listening, but they would have had to listen intently. They probably didn't have anything to write down with. Maybe they did. They, they just sat there and they listened to this letter being written. We're privileged. We got Bibles. Hopefully, we all have a Bible opened on our lap. We can look. We got the screen. We we put the verses right before you. You're writing things down. But you know what's more important than all of that is that we would listen. That we would hear what Peter is saying to us this morning in this letter. The date for these two letters, or this second letter, excuse me, most believe it was somewhere around 65 to 66 A.D. That's a little over 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many believe and many commentators believe that Peter was martyred sometime around the same time as the Apostle Paul, possibly within a year's time, Around 67 to 68 A.D., he was crucified upside down in Rome by Nero. That was Peter's ministry. Like the Apostle Paul, Paul to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews, both of them dying a martyr's death for their faith. In that first letter that we've already been through, and some of you maybe have not been through that first letter, you can listen, by the way, online to to all of 1 Peter. But in that first letter, Peter wrote to console, to encourage his fellow believers as they were suffering for their faith. In this second letter, we're going to see that the emphasis of Peter which may be somewhere around three to five years later that this second letter was being written, that he was writing to warn his fellow Christians of coming dangers. One of the key words that we see in this second letter of Peter is the word knowledge. It's found three times, and and it's actually found actually eight times throughout the letter But in this first uh, chapter here in verse 2, we see that Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter closes this letter in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. The knowledge. Learning, growing in our knowledge of of Jesus Christ is so important. We're called as Christians to make a stand for our faith. We're called to take courage as Christians. 
we're called to have moral courage. And sometimes I think even more than physical courage, to have moral courage in the days that we're living. We need to make a stand for truth. We need to make a stand for the things that are right. We need to make a stand for the things that are wholesome and good. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in our world. I think we all know that. But I, as I considered even the warnings of this letter, I'm thinking as I'm reading it, there's no greater time for the church, there's no greater time for you and I as a Christian than now to make a moral stance for our faith, to have moral courage in the days that we're living in. The time is now. There's also, I think it's the time to know our Bibles well. We're living in a time where there are many false doctrines. We're going to see that warning in this letter. There's many things that can get Christians off track. There's a lot of immorality even within the church and false teachings within the church. And it's a time for Christians to know their Bibles. I think the time is now like it's never been before. We also need to be Christians that need to be aware. We need to be watching. And I, and I believe that there is going to be a lot of the church that is not going to be watching when our Lord returns. We need to be watching. We need to be ready for our Lord's return. There's no greater time than today for the church to be watching and ready for Christ's return. I think if any one of us was walking down a, a trail and we came up to a sign that was there on the trail on the side of the pathway as we were having our walk and the sign read warning or the sign read danger or the sign read beware. I want to ask you, what would your response be? How would you respond to a, a signage as you walked up to it like that? I, I think that most of us would probably stop for a moment. I think that we might look around. Why is that sign there? Why is there a warning sign in front of me? We might assess. We might just observe what's, what's going on. We might consider that this warning sign is there for a purpose. This second letter of Peter, we might say in the three chapters that make up this letter, there's one of these signs above each chapter. I assigned the, wor uh, the sign warning for chapter 1. The word danger for chapter 2. And the word beware for chapter 3. You see this first chapter, it has to do with your personal walk. It has to do with what's going on inside of you and I as Christians. And there's a warning even in Peter's words. He's wanting to encourage, he's wanting to exhort, but he's also wanting to warn us as Christians that we might have a lack in our knowledge. That we might be short-sighted. That we might be lacking in our diligence and our effort in our walks. That we might be forgetting things that we once knew. Have you ever been reminded way down the road of something you once knew? Oh, that's right. Forgetting those things that we once knew. Forgetting from what we've come from as Christians. Being short-sighted, blinded, forgetting, 
These are all warnings to us as Christians. Lacking knowledge, being short-sighted. The second chapter of this letter, danger. Danger that faces the church. Destructive doctrines, false teachers, the deception that is coming from false teachers today. In chapter 2, verse 1, we read, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. It was happening in Peter's day, but it's happening today, and I believe that it's intensifying even the more so in the days that we're living. The third chapter of this letter is, Beware. Peter speaks of the dangers that the church faces when we're not ready and we're not prepared. You see, there's coming a day where Christ is going to return. I hope that's at the forefront of your mind every single day, that Christ is coming back. Peter speaks of it as the day of the Lord, the coming day of judgment that is going to come upon this earth. These are warnings. These are things that are given to us in this letter. And there's no better time than today to take this warning seriously. In chapter 3, you can look there, verse 3 and 4, Peter says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, And here's the question, where is the promise of His coming? And I want to say this, that I think even the ungodly in this world that might even pose that question has brought even some doubts even to Christians. I think if we soul-searched ourselves and we asked ourselves, am I really thinking that the Lord could come back today? I might have a question mark in my own mind. I might not be ready in my own heart for that to happen. I might be one of those that is going to be caught off guard when the Lord returns. Listen to how Peter ends in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, since I'm telling you ahead of time, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. And so we have three chapters in this letter. Chapter 1, a warning from within ourselves, for ourselves. Chapter 2, the dangers of destructive doctrines and false teachers. Chapter 3, the dangers of being unprepared for the future coming of the Lord. Not looking for the blessed hope. I pray, and I think that this church should be one that should be aware. Because I think I quite often bring it up. I quite often remind you that Jesus Christ is coming back. There are some churches that you might never hear that or you'll hear it seldom. And in that, people quite often, what happens? We kind of just lay back. We get lazy. We're not prepared. We're not ready in ourselves for that day. Let's read our text this morning. It's just four verses, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You see why I can't go any further than four verses? I mean, when I read this, I mean, introductions quite often, people just read through them. It's just the introduction. Let's get to the meat of the letter. And they just read through it. But look how much is in these first four verses. We need to slow down. We need to look at every word that's being said. They all have meaning. There's purpose in it for us to hear. Verse 1 starts by telling us that the author of this letter is Simon Peter. Peter also says that he's the author of this letter in chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. This is Peter's second letter. And so we read in verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Simon was his given name. Simon was his name before Christ. And then later we see Jesus changing His name to Peter, which means stone or rock, which speaks of something that is more solid, more grounded, more firm. Here's Peter becoming a a changed person, just like you, that the Lord came into your life and He began a work in your life and He took you off a shaky ground and He put you on a solid foundation. And even though maybe we've never had our name changed by the Lord, God is doing a work in you. As you allow Him to work, He wants to change you. He wants to do a great work in each one of our lives. Peter, like Paul, he calls himself in this letter a bondservant. He simply says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. A bond slave by choice. I've chosen to be a slave of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote the same thing of himself in the book of Romans. He called himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I think that being a bond slave of Jesus Christ is the greatest joy. It's the greatest satisfaction that any Christian could have. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I I serve the King. He's my Master. He's my Lord. I submit to His will. Whatever You have for me, Lord, that's what I want to do. Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Peter actually, he lists himself In this letter, he opens this letter calling himself a servant of Jesus Christ before he calls himself an apostle. Look at Peter's life. (laughs) He's a fisherman. And and what are you? You He's just just a, a fisherman. Just a simple man. And it's just like I think most of us here are simple. We're just simple people. Notice I said most of us. Some of us are complicated. And that's okay too. But most of us are just simple people like Peter. But Jesus was going to equip this man He was going to make him ready for ministry. Peter was a faithful follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ for three and a half years. In essence, 
he fell under the training of Jesus for three and a half years. He submitted himself unto the training for three and a half years. And then Jesus brought Peter up to that place where the training was done. It's time to send you out now, Peter. It's time to appoint you as an apostle, one who was sent out on a mission. It's time to go, Peter. One who was sent out on a mission. In essence, all of us here have been sent out. We've all been given the Great Commission. We all have a work to do. God has placed that upon our life. And though you may not be one of the apostles, you have been sent out. I think Peter was a perfect person to write this letter to us. He had all the practical tools that he gathered from a life that was a full life. He was one of the twelve. He was an apostle. He walked on water and he also sank all at the same time. He walked on water. A miracle of God. And then he sinks in failure. Can you relate? It's just like that. Walking on water, everything is great, and then failure comes. All in one go. Peter knew failure, didn't he? Most of us here would say, you know what, I can really relate to Peter. And why we say that is because he had a lot of mess-ups. And then I look at my life and I, he's the one that I can relate to best. Peter knew failure. Remember, he denied the Lord three times, but he also knew victory. Peter was the, the one that says that to Jesus, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He had the experience of Pentecost. Can you imagine that? After the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on that day of Pentecost, and Peter stands up and is the first one recorded in Scripture to have opportunity to lead 3,000 plus people to Christ. He also saw them baptized. Wow! A miracle of God! Peter was prepared. He was well qualified to write these two letters. He tells us who he's writing to. He says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. Peter, in this letter, he broadens his audience to include really all believers to all those who have obtained precious faith like us. Peter could have been making reference here to the fact that he was a Jew and this letter was going to be read by Gentiles. And Jew and Gentile, we share this same faith, this like precious faith. We share it together. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5 speaking to both Jew and Gentile, says this, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, there is one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We're all in this together. God doesn't see Jew or Gentile. He doesn't see the division. There is no division between Jew and Gentile. That Gospel message has gone out into this world and touched both Jew and Gentile. And it's all the same faith. Peter says that he is a servant. He's one that 
has been called to take this message to his own people, the Jews. Paul, that, that apostle to the Gentile, taking that me- message of the Gentile, message to the Gentiles, both of them coming together as one. Peter says, ye all. Peter says, ye all have obtained like precious faith. That's the southern edition. Ye all. It didn't come across well, did it? Ye all. We don't have a whole lot of North Carolinian southern people here, I guess. We're all Californians, I guess. But ye all have obtained like precious faith. Peter calls it precious because he knew the value of faith. How valuable is your faith to you? How, how much value, how much weight do you put on your faith? Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Faith given to you and I as a gift. Jude wrote in verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. Peter liked the word precious. As a matter of fact, we find that word precious in Peter's letter more than in any other place in the Bible. Eight times we see this word precious in Scripture, in his letters. The word actually means something costly. It means something dear to the heart. Something held in high esteem. Peter says, the genuineness of your faith is precious. He also says that Jesus' blood in this letter is precious. He says that Jesus himself is precious. Peter, writing to the women in the church, says, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Peter speaks of precious promises in this letter and also our precious faith. Valuable. Our faith should be something that we hold dear. It's it's worth defending. It's worth standing up for as a Christian. Peter tells us how we've obtained this precious faith. He says, we've obtained it by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, and whenever you see these, this term, uh, the, the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, it's bringing those two together as one. Jesus is our God and Jesus is our Savior is what he's saying here. In verse 2, this common greeting that we see in this second verse, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace. Unmerited favor upon you undeserving favor upon you. See, we're getting something that we don't deserve. It's a gift of God that He has given it to us. A common greeting, though. It'd be like, you know, somebody standing at the door, or myself standing at the door, and when you walked up to the church doors, I said, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Would you like that? 
Every time you walk through the doors, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And you're going, yes, 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 I want more. Grace and peace. We all want it. We all need it. It's, it, 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 it's essential in our Christian walks. It's important to note, though, that until someone knows the grace of God, they can't experience the peace with God. Until a person experiences peace with God, they can't experience the peace of God. Do you know the difference? First, it's peace with God, and then it's the peace of God that you need in your life. Peace, simply put, is the calm. When we come to know and we come to understand this grace that God gives you as a free gift, the graces in your life, the grace that He pours upon you. When sin abounds, grace does much more abound. When you learn of His grace, when you know the grace of God in truth, when you come to a greater understanding of grace in your life, His enabling grace in your life, you come to that place where you're able to experience more and more the peace of God in your life. But Peter adds how this grace and peace given is multiplied to you. He tells us how we can have more of it. How we can have more understanding of God's grace. How we can receive that peace in our life that we so often need. Peter says, it comes through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Getting to know God. Getting to know Jesus Christ. Getting to know God and Jesus more and more in your life. Getting to know Jesus is getting to know God. Getting to know God is knowing Jesus. They go hand in hand. Peter says it's through the knowledge of God the Father. It's through the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord that this grace and this peace is multiplied to you. Don't miss this truth. You see, knowledge, as I already brought up, Divine knowledge. Imparted knowledge to you by God. In other words, the light bulb comes on. You're understanding more about your God and Jesus Christ each and every day. You're growing in your knowledge of Him. Having a full and thorough knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Having discernment. You see, this is all important in our being able to have grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and through Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but what I have found in my own personal walk, there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to get there. There's no shortcuts in growing as a Christian. The time you give to knowing Him. The time you set aside in your schedule to know Him more is going to have a direct effect upon your walk. It's going to have a direct effect upon the power that you have in your life. It's going to have a direct effect upon the fruitfulness that you produce as a Christian. What you put in will directly affect what comes out of your life. The more you put in, 
the more fruit you're going to see come forth. The more you're going to experience God's grace in greater ways. The more you're going to experience His peace in your life. This chapter is going to be about fruitful growth. And it starts with just a simple faith. You know that day you just said yes to Jesus Christ. I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. He imparted that gift of grace to you. That gift of faith. And you were saved. But then the work began. Then we, and then we moved into the, the realm of now having to grow in our walks with Christ. Growing as a Christian. It'll cost you time. It, 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 you'll, you'll need to be diligent in your efforts. There's no shortcuts. And, and I think quite often we want the shortcuts. We want to get there quickly. And time really is the only thing that will get you there. Remember how Paul gave his resume in Philippians 3? He went on and gave this whole thing about what his days were like before Christ. And he says... In verse 8, uh, Philippians uh, 3.8, he says, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge, there it is, of Christ Jesus my Lord. I count all of that, all that resume, all that stuff that I thought was important to God. I count it loss. And as a matter of fact, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I, I count them as rubbish. They're like trash that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Paul, he says, verse 10, that I may know Him. Paul says that I may know Him. Paul says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Paul says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and also the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul understood it. Paul sought it. There was nothing that was more important than for Paul to grow in his knowledge of God, his knowledge of Jesus Christ. Peter says to you and I this morning, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Multiplication. I was never good at it. You know, I, I, I was able to, to figure out two times two. Four times four. Sixteen. You know, sixteen by... Times 16, 256. Now I'm on a calculator. You know, but we're talking about grace and peace being multiplied to you in greater measure. Understanding it more. Being able to take it upon yourself on board. Being able to apply it to your life. Do you need more of it? Do you need more grace this morning in your walk with Christ? And let me ask you something else. Do you need more peace? 
If you do, then you need to spend time in God's Word. There's no shortcuts. If you want grace and peace to be multiplied, then you need to spend time in the Word of God. And don't just wait for Sunday morning. Don't wait to arrive here on Sunday morning and that's going to fill you up for the week. By the way, we have Wednesday night, we have small groups, we have other Bible studies that happen. You say, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. I'm busy. I think we all are. But my counsel to anyone that would say here, I'm too busy to spend time with God, too busy to open up my Bible, too busy to have a prayer time, you need to reprioritize your time. You need to say, this has to go, this has to go, and I've got to have this time. If grace is something that you find hard to grab hold of, or you have little understanding of it, and if peace is something that you never seem to have enough of, and there are Christians like that, it's probably because you're spending little time knowing the one who is, a, who is the God of grace, who is the God of peace. You're spending little time with Him, and thus you struggle. Thus you find it hard to take on board this grace, to apply it, to have the peace of God just mount up around your heart and mind to bring you peace in the midst of a storm. We need to spend time with Him for that grace and peace to be multiplied. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 5.10, he says, May the God of all grace, (laughs) he calls Him the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You see, we need to know this grace more and more. It's not just a one-time thing. In the first chapter of Colossians, it says that we might know the grace of God in truth. We read in the book of Isaiah in chapter 26, verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace. I got that underlined. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And how does this happen? When you spend time with him. When you spend time with the God of peace you're going to experience more peace in your life. Verse 3, Peter goes on to say that it's by His divine power that He's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is victory for us Christians. He's given us by His divine power. The New Living Translation puts it this way, by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. If you're struggling with living a godly life, He has given you everything by His divine power to live a godly life. It's by this divine power that He equips us. And He equips us with everything that's needful. 
It's through the knowledge of him who called us, we're told. He called us by glory and virtue. There's that word knowledge again. God's divine power in your life. When's the last time you experienced his divine power in your life? When's the last time you acknowledged that you were tempted greatly and you were able to resist and you had a victory shout and you say, thank you, Jesus, you did that in me. It was your power. Divine power. It's part of God's very nature. You see, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, isn't He? It's not man's power. It's not your power to say no to sin. It's God's divine power in your life. This word power, it's that same word that we read in the book of Acts. It's dunamis. It's this supernatural power. It's that same power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. How much power did that take to raise Him from the grave after three days? That same power, that divine power, is what equips you for life and godliness. To say no to sin. It's by this divine power that God is able to give you and I miraculously, I can't even say the word, miraculously, all that is needful in your life for godliness. Everything you need. I think some of us have fallen trapped to saying, I can't stop. I can't stop this sin. It's been plaguing me my whole Christian walk. I have, it's, it's that area of my life. And you know what the answer to that is? It's not that you can't stop. It's that you won't stop. It's that, it's that you don't want to stop the sin. If what I read and hear that His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, then I have the ability to say no to sin. I have victory shouts around every corner. If I will rely upon Him and His divine power in my life, He called us by glory and virtue. Or we might say that it was through His glory and His moral excellence. We're talking about God here. His glory, His moral excellence that He calls us. We might say this is an explanation of His divine power. He called us by glory and virtue. His glory and His virtue. In 1 Peter 2.9 we read, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises. That word praises there? That you may proclaim the praises or literally the virtues of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. It's speaking about God's power. It's speaking about God's virtue to change us. You see, this whole chapter, and we won't get there today, but this whole chapter is going to be about His divine power. His divine nature. That we're partakers of His divine power. That we're partakers of His divine nature. We're going to be looking here at the miracle of a changed life. What God is able to do in us. A life of godliness. A life of victory. 
a life that has escaped the corruption that is in the world, a life empowered by God, a life that is fruitful for the Lord, a life growing in the knowledge of Him. You see, His divine power enables us to be partakers of His divine nature. God's divine power, He's omnipotent, enables you to be a partaker of His divine nature. Peter says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life and godliness, it starts with having first a spiritual life. You have to first know the Lord for this process that we're going to be looking at in this first chapter to happen. It's not by our godliness that we obtain life, but by life, godliness comes to us. His life. Godliness in the life of a child of God is something that stands in complete contrast, opposition to the corruption that's in this world through lust. Look at verse 4. We're drawing close. By which, or whereby, or by this glory and virtue, we could say, is what Peter's saying. By which, this glory and virtue have been given to us exceedingly, underline that, exceedingly great and precious promises. We could do the whole study on that. By His glory and virtue, exceedingly great and precious promises have been given to you. It's by His very nature that these great and precious promises are given to you. But these promises that we read in Scripture... What do they require on your part? Faith. You ever read a promise in the Bible and you weren't quite sure you could believe it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we look at the promises, and there's many, we look at the promises in Scripture, it requires faith on our part. And God gives us that little measure of faith and our faith begins to grow, but we need to stand on the promises of God. And the only way your faith is going to grow, you need to spend time in God's Word, as I've already said. You need to spend time knowing Him through His Word. Spend time getting to know Him and listening to Him in prayer. Peter says that through these... The these there he's talking about is the precious promises that through these precious promises you may be partakers of the divine nature. Wow. The promises of God. They apply to everyone that is a child of God. Did you know that God is self-existent? He doesn't need anybody to kind of feed Him and You know, he's he's all on his own when it comes to that. Self-existent. Did you know that God is unchangeable? That's opposite of us. We change from moment to moment. He's unchangeable. Did you know that God is eternal? He has no end. He has no beginning. He has no end. Did you know that God is immense? That He fills up the heavens and the earth and the hall of space? Did you know that God is spirit? Did you know that God is omniscient, that He's all-knowing, that no one is teaching Him anything? Did you know that God is omnipresent, that He's everywhere present? Did you know that God is omnipotent, that He's all-powerful? There's nothing too hard for God. Do you know those things? Are you intimately learning those things about your God? But then there's the attributes of God 
which he shares with you and I in a limited way. He shares his holiness with you and I as a Christian, a follower of him. He says, be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. He shares his righteousness with us. He imparts his righteousness to your account the day you gave your life to Christ. He declares you in right standing with him. He shares his righteousness with you. He shares His love with us. The love of God has been poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's that supernatural love that comes from above that dwells now and lives inside of you. He shares truth with us. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He shares wisdom with us. And in James it tells us if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and God will give liberally to you that wisdom. These are all attributes of God that we actually have the privilege as a child of God to share in these things. The very nature of God. He says, I share it with you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a memory verse for most of us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then Peter, for our study this morning anyway, finishes with having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The promises that have been given. They're precious. They're great. Did you know that you have already escaped? You're an escape artist. You've already escaped the corruption and the lust. You say, well, I fall to those things. I fail quite often. And we do. And His grace overfloods your sin day after day. As we come before the Lord and confess our sin and admit our sin, He says, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and I will continue to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the walk of a Christian. But according to His promises, you've escaped the corruption that is in the world. You stand as a child of God under the promises of God. Even when you don't understand it, even when you can't really grasp completely the work of Christ in your life, He's done it. I would encourage you to read on in this chapter. Remember, this chapter is going to be a great encouragement to us, but it's going to be a chapter of warning. There are certain steps that we're going to need to take as Christians. We're going to get into those steps. We're going to look at that the next time we get into Peter, which will be two weeks because next week is going to be something different. But we're going to look at that, the steps. The steps to victory, let's call it. The steps to a fruitful Christian walk. We're going to see that in the rest of this chapter. So read ahead. Let the Lord minister to you. I pray that that even after the message today that you've soul searched your time. And maybe it'll take a little soul searching more after. But look at your time. Look at the time you're spending knowing God. Don't say you don't have time for the Lord. If you do, you're going to be one that's coming up short on grace, coming up short on peace. You're not going to have that multiplied to you day in and day out. You're going to find yourself struggling with sin. We have our communion table before us. I'm going to ask that the worship team will come up and We're going to partake of communion together. The cup, the bread. Symbolic of that broken body. That precious blood as Peter puts it. That was shed for you and I. I hope that the reality 
of what this represents for everyone here. I hope that everyone in this place is born again, knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, has 100% confidence in their heart that if they died today, they'd go to home to be with the Lord. No questions asked. I'd go to be with Him not because I'm a good person, not because I'm here in church, but because I've given my life to Jesus Christ. And these things here represent the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you do not know Him as Lord and Savior, then as we're distributing the communion, stand up. The rest of you can remain sitting. Stand up. If you think you've been saved but you're not sure, I'd say stand up anyway and I'll pray for for you right from here and you can accept Christ into your heart right where you stand and you can take communion today in a different way. And so let's, let's worship. Let's worship the Lord. Let's just praise Him for what He has done in our lives. Let's soul search ourselves as we partake. Let God forgive if there needs to be forgiveness in your life. Let Him restore if there needs restoration in your life. Let God have His way in you this morning. Let's worship.